You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hey, everyone. Welcome to MLB.com Extras. I'm Alexa Dat, and today we're talking Braves baseball. We bring in our Braves reporter for MLB.com, Mark Bowman. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Hey, Alexa. Great. Great. Starting to feel like a normal offseason. Well, you know, the start of a normal offseason. Let's put it that way. Well, yeah, because once you had all of these uh, sanctions being handed down, in this whole situation, the Braves lose 13 prospects. Their former GM is banned for life. Um, And, you know, it's all because they circumvent these international signing rules. I mean, can you tell us what's been the reaction from the team or the buzz around the team about these sanctions? You know, I think that let's go all the way back to late September. And and you, you felt like there was, you didn't know exactly what was about to hit the Braves, and I don't even want to act like I had any clue that I knew the magnitude. But you knew there were some, you know, at that point in time, you know there were some accusations of tampering against John Coppola. Uh, there were some, some teams that were certainly upset with, you're hearing some rumblings here and there. Uh, we weren't hearing specifically anything about the international market. I knew it might be an interesting off season when, when – uh, John Copalella left Miami on that Saturday, the last Saturday of the regular season. My assumption was maybe he was heading for a suspension at that point in time, but uh, obviously two days later, uh, the tone of this off season was set when we learned that uh, you know he was forced to resign in the midst of this uh, investigation uh, that, that led to these you know unprecedented set of penalties uh, like for. You know, like you said, the circumvention of, of uh, international rules and also some some um, questionable acts, acts uh, within the domestic draft. So, um, you know, there was so much uncertainty throughout October, and you, you had Perry Manassian and um, Adam Fisher, who had been brought over, had just started on September 19th. They were basically put in charge of, running the daily operations while John Hart still had a job throughout October. And he was very involved in the interview process of hiring the next GM. You, you always had a sense that, that the shoe was going to drop on him too. I mean, there was no way that the copy was going to be blamed for everything without uh, John Hart shouldering some blame. And, and as the month went on, you started to hear more and more from people saying, look, there's some, some links and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it just was so much uncertainty because you had these two guys who hadn't even been in the organization until September 19th were basically trying to run the show. They were making there was coaching changes that were made. Now, granted, John Hart had his play in that. He um, getting rid of Eddie Perez and Terry Pendleton, uh, bringing in Walt Weiss and Eric Young Sr. Um, I don't want to see these say these guys worked alone, but it was so unique. And then all of a sudden. Alex Anthopoulos is hired, and, and as expected, yeah, Alex has started to put together his his staff with guys that he knows. He didn't really know Adam Fisher. He, Perry was in his wedding. He worked together with the Blue Jays. Just so happened that Perry had gotten the job here in Atlanta long before Alex even thought that the Braves were even a possibility. So, um, so here you are now. Alex is putting his staff together. Um, Adam Fisher's gone. Perry and Alex are together, uh, and here we are a few days before December, and it feels like maybe what it normally would have uh, near the end of October, 
uh, as the, the World Series is in, and you're kind of saying, okay, now which direction is this team going to go? And they could go a number of different ways. And right now, I think they're still feeling it out the, uh, the process. Um, we, we could sit there and say these are their needs, but at the same time, until we start hearing from agents and other teams about what the Braves are calling and, and asking about, we really don't know which direction they're going. And right for, for right now, from what I can understand is, uh, yes, there's some activity, but, but not a lot of it. A lot of analysts agreed that the Braves had the top farm system before these sanctions were handed down. Where do you believe it ranks now? You know what, I'd say it's certainly it's definitely still top five. And really, if you look at the top 30 prospects, um, they really only lost Kevin Maiton and, and uh, Gutierrez, the catcher. Uh, Maiton ranked fifth in our, our rankings and Gutierrez 30th. Here's what I'd say, though. Instead of just looking at those rankings, um, you have to look at the farm system as a whole. And any time you take 13 players away and you're getting zero value in return, you have to to say that that farm system was severely weak. And so to, to just uh, to simply look at the top 30, I think it's your um, – and how many players were lost, I think you're only uh, – you're not – evaluating, the, providing a full assessment of the damage with these punishments because once you take that depth away, over the next few years as you start to evaluate, can we make this trade, can we make that trade, you know, the more pieces you have in place, uh, that might provide more options for you. Uh, you know, from an immediate standpoint, you know, the difficulty is, okay, now you have to find players to, to fill some up, you know, some of those roles or those just roster spots that these teams – these players would have filled next year. Uh, you look at it and you say, okay, it probably was going to be another three or four years before any of them made the reached Atlanta. You know, these are all 16, 17-year-old kids for the most part. Um, you know, and so maybe you're looking at four or five years down the road. But within that process, you had currency. You, you spent $15 million on these players that were basically taken away from you without you getting any value in return. That is an impact, and and so and that's going to impact them for probably a decade because there there will be international sanctions through 2021 um, restrictions on how act, how active they can be on the international markets. So I, I do think that you know this this did impact the farm system. At the same time, if you look at the top talent they have and weigh that against everybody else, you know they they still. Uh, are right right there among the games elite. So you mentioned a couple of different time frames in terms of the in terms of the immediate future. Obviously, uh, that is to be determined over the next couple of months. But four or five years or a decade down the road, I mean, how long can this team expect to be affected by these sanctions? You know, I, I just think that that it could be a decade because you know let, let's go all the way to 2020-21. Now, now you're going to draft. You're going to sign that class. That that would have been uh, that. That's the last time that they have restrictions uh, with this punishment. Within that class, you were going to have 16, 17 year old kids that you know were four to five years away from the majors at least. So I mean, just just looking at it that way, now we're getting closer to 2026, 2027, to where you know this team is still going to be feeling the impact of this of these sanctions and. And you think about it this way, 
2016's class was basically wiped clean. You know, at least all you know the the top signees from that season. So you're going from 2016. These two years where they were already in the penalty box because they had uh, exceeded their um, their signing bonus pool there uh, in 2016. They were already in the penalty box for that. So they were they were limited already. Then you're going to have the two years of punishment. So they're going to have five consecutive years of really getting no value uh, off that international market. So not only when you get to 2021, um, are you not going to, you're still going to be restricted on what the value you might be able to get uh, five years ahead. But at that point in time, you're in the fifth consecutive year of really not having any, uh, having gained any value within this international market. Well, you know, your competitors all were able to uh, to do whatever they needed to do within this market during this time. Yeah, not great news for the Braves organization, but now that the sanctions have been handed down, they can move on and evaluate where they go from here. Let's talk a little bit of positive news, Mark. Uh, Chipper Jones and Andrew Jones both on the 2018 Hall of Fame ballot, candidates for the first time. Let's start with Chipper Jones. He obviously spent his 19-year uh, career there, the entirety of his career there with the Braves. Is he a first ballot Hall of Famer, do you believe? No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I think the question is, you know, does he get 95% or how, how high above 95% uh, ballots is he listed on? I, I think that there's certainly one of the greatest switch hitters of all time, uh, you know, a guy who was one of the most, you know, influential figures in the Braves being able to to not only win those, extend their streak to 14 consecutive division titles, uh, but to continue to be competitive in the years after. Um, you know, he he is, uh, he ranks right there um, with Hank Aaron, um, you know, Smoltz, Clavin, Maddox as, as some of the greatest Braves ever. And because he spent his whole career here, I, I think that, uh, you know, you, you could, you kind of put him right there with Hank. You know, when people think of the Braves, they're thinking of Chipper Jones. Um, there's no doubt in my mind, um, you know, next summer he will be inducted into Cooperstown. And I think a decade ago we were thinking, you know, there's a good chance that Andrew Jones would have been, you know, looking at the same fate. At that point in time, you're he's still in the midst of uh, 10 consecutive gold gloves awards and you know it was, you thought 500 home runs was essential his careers took a dramatic turn as we know so i i think that andrew while chipper's a first ballot hall of famer andrew there's a chance he gets in i i you know i'm not going to say absolutely not but i think basically what we're going to see is for the next decade is people are going to be arguing does andrew jones deserve to be in i think he's going to be one of those guys that's going to sit there in that you know what are 35 to 50 percent range um and it time will tell exactly how much uh the voters place on his defensive excellence because you know offensively he was heading towards you know he was going to have the numbers um at this, but once he left atlanta went to the dodgers um the, the years following uh he just simply wasn't the same player and I, you know with that being said he really wasn't the same player his final season in Atlanta from an offensive perspective. I think it was one of those things where you, you look at all the years he spent playing center field. I think it took its wear and tear on him. I, you know, I think if he had to do it all over again, he would have taken better care of himself, stayed in better shape. 
um, there once he reached 30 years old. He, you know, he just started to the frame changed and uh, and all the results changed dramatically enough that he went from being kind of what we thought of a decade ago as a Central Hall of Famer to now he, he's probably going to be looking at some of the same frustration that Dale Murphy and, and others uh, have. You know, those guys that were you know almost Hall of Famers. Yeah, very interesting candidacy there. Like you mentioned, rooted in his defensive excellence. So we'll have to see how that progresses as the years continue. Let's talk about a future Braves Hall of Famer and Ronald Acuna. Since we last talked, <laughs> uh, Braves top, top prospect takes home the MVP of the Arizona Fall League, hits seven home runs in 23 games. What makes him such a special player? You know, he just the five tools. I mean, he has it all. He's uh, He certainly can – he hits for power, and, you know, we all know about all his arms. We know about the intangibles on the field. I, I think one thing that stands out is he, he's not afraid. Uh, he, he does have a little bit of a swagger, so would I if I was that good. <laughs> you know, I don't care <laughs> what the year people say, oh, he, he's a, he's a, he acts just like Bryce Harper. I don't care if I, if I was as good as Bryce Harper. I'd act like Bryce Harper, too. Maybe. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you know, you, you hear about this kind of stuff, this kid confident, but, but I think it is a – a genuine confidence. It's not a cockiness. I, I think that he um, he knows how good he is. Uh, we saw it in spring training. He goes to A ball this year to, to start the season. You know, forces his way out of that level real quickly. And in, as he progressed, you know, to double A and triple A, his numbers continue to improve at, at each level. This is a a kid that it's going to be very interesting coming out of spring training next year. Are they willing to put him? on that opening day roster, you know, you know, or they, they want to get that clock started that time. Is he good enough right now? I do think so. You know, I, I think that they will, they need to make every effort to, um, you know, do what they can with Matt Kemp's contract, whether that's trading, eat the, eat the salary, do whatever. But um, I think, you know, moving forward, uh, I think it will be good to, to, at some point next summer, and maybe even as early at some point in April, you look out there in that outfield and you've got uh, Ender Enciarte and Acuna and, and Nick Markakis. I think Nick Markakis and uh, Ender will, will, will be good influences on Acuna. I think that there are other uh, – Ozzy Albies is already in that clubhouse. I think he's a good influence. Um, you know, he's not much older, but it's just a little bit of a big brother type. Um, I think that – you know, this. I, I've heard people say, you know, okay, this is the best prospect the Braves have produced since Andrew Jones. And some people say to that, well, what about Jason Hayward? I think Ronald Acuna is at a different level uh, than Jason Hayward. Jason Hayward, there was a lot of hype, and, and, and it was warranted. I get it. But at the same time, I think at, at this stage, getting to the major league level, I think Acuna is at a different level than even Jason Hayward was. When, when he reached the majors in 2010. Well, Ronald Acuna sure has that swagger. Mark, you got a swagger all your own, man. You bring it to this podcast every week. We really appreciate you joining us. And uh, we'll catch up next week. We'll talk a little bit more about the hot stove and all the rumors surrounding the Braves. But we appreciate you joining us today. Sounds good. Thank you. Take care.